I hope you had an awesome Christmas celebration with your family. We have actually been celebrating Christmas as a church for a month. But as you know, this last Sunday, our celebration was cut a little bit short because of the weather. That being the case, I'm recording this message from home and it will post, as with all of our services, on the following Sunday. So today I will finish out our Christmas series in which we have been talking about Jesus, mostly in the past tense. He was a baby. He was a man. And he was the Christ who died to save us. It's very important that we understand who Jesus was. However, it is even more important that we understand who Jesus is. As much as I hope we've all grown in our understanding of Jesus by looking at who he was, if any of us are still thinking of Jesus mostly as a historical figure from the past to celebrate on a holiday, a baby who was born or a man who lived or even the Christ who once died on a cross, we will have missed the big picture of Jesus Christ. See, even though it is important to understand that Jesus lived as a human being at a certain point in history, and even though he was a baby and a man and the Christ, it is even more important to know that this same Jesus completely transcends this creation and this history because he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is not only the Christ of Christmas, but he is also the Lord of all. This, of course, is not some added-on legend. But even on the night of his birth, the angels proclaimed, Today there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is not only the Christ, but he is also the Lord, said the angels. One of the earliest creeds of the church, even during the lifetime of those who have known him, was simply this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. They would actually proclaim Christ is Lord in the church as part of their worship practice from the earliest days after the resurrection. Jesus is Lord. They were not saying Paul or Peter or anyone else was Lord. They never called Moses or Abraham Lord. And while the term Lord could also be used as a title for any person of authority, people did not go around saying anyone else was the Lord, other than God. The early church was not simply saying that Jesus was boss or king or of high rank, but rather they were saying that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, the almighty God of the universe. Take note also that <clears throat> the practice of referring to Christ as the Lord only began after the resurrection and after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Before that, the disciples were not going around and declaring Jesus to be the Lord or Yahweh. It would seem they did not have a complete picture until after the resurrection. But it is also a fact that as the church began to take form, after Jesus had risen from the dead, one of their most powerful acts of worship was simply to say together in unison, this Jesus, who was crucified, is the Lord. 
Peter established this in his very first sermon <clears throat> to the very first church. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In fact, after the resurrection, the most often used title for Jesus became the Lord Jesus Christ. And shortly thereafter, Peter and others even began to refer to Jesus as Lord of all. What do they mean by Lord of all? There's only one Lord of all, and Jesus was him, that is, Almighty God in the flesh. Make no mistake, the apostles and the early church understood Jesus to be not just Bethlehem's baby, not just the most amazing man to ever live, not just the Christ, and not even just a Lord, but actually the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of all, that is to say, God. Understand that in the Old Testament, only God was called the Lord. When you see the Lord used to refer to God in the Old Testament, you're seeing our translation of the Greek translation for the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh. Yahweh was the reply when Moses asked at the burning bush, who will I say sent me? God said, tell them Yahweh, the I am, sent you. One Bible dictionary renders this word as the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God. And to be clear, this is translated in your Bible as the Lord. You won't see the word Yahweh. You'll see the Lord. But understand what was there originally was the tetragrammaton, theologians call it, the letters Y-H-W-H in English, which is where we get the word Yahweh. But in your Bible, it is translated as the Lord. And as I've said in the New Testament, after he was resurrected, Jesus began to be referred to precisely in these terms. He was referred to as the Lord in exactly the same way as Yahweh. Again, let me explain that Jesus was not only referred to as a Lord, but as the Lord. Jesus was called the Lord in exactly the same sense that Yahweh was referred to as the Lord. We must understand that Christ's early followers were fully monotheistic Jews, and they knew exactly what they were saying about Jesus when they called him the Lord. Remember, the prophet Isaiah had predicted that the Messiah would be called mighty God. And that is exactly who his followers came to believe Jesus was. When they said Jesus is Lord, they absolutely meant Jesus is God. And never forget that Jesus was Lord long before he was the Christ. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was Lord before there was ever a need for a Christ, before mankind existed or needed saving. Jesus was Lord. Again, the angels knew from the beginning, proclaiming to the shepherds, today is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus was the only Savior, the only Christ, and the only Lord. The people may have been uh, in darkness and not sure who Jesus was at given points. And many still are not sure. Uh, they, they're still not sure who, who Jesus is. That's the question of this series. But the angels knew, 
They knew firsthand exactly who they were talking about. They knew Jesus as Lord from eternity. He was Lord even before they were created. What is Christmas? It's, what is it? Just by the word itself, what is Christmas? It's the worship of Christ. The word is Christ Mass. You know, the word Catholics use to talk about a worship service. And so literally Christmas is a service of worship for Christ. Why? Because he is Lord. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We must never forget that the Christ of Christmas is also the Lord of the universe. But see, in our very commercialized and calendared way of celebrating Christmas, I'm afraid we're in danger of communicating to our children and ourselves a Christ who is all but stripped of lordship. The lordship of Christ is not particularly marketable, after all, is it? Even the manger scene, removed from most public settings by now, is perhaps part of the problem. Why? Because a manger scene can be removed. A manger scene can be removed on the whim of a minority of whiny baby people who can't stand our beliefs or even our heritage. But see, anything that can be removed by people does not adequately represent the Lordship of Christ. Just remember that. Anything that can be removed by people does not adequately represent the Lordship of Christ. Friends, the Christ I celebrate at Christmas cannot be adequately portrayed by a plastic baby. So easily stolen by a bored teenager or an immature atheist. And see, I'm afraid in our culture and around the world, the Christ people are confronted with, particularly at Christmas, is not presented as Lord at all. What I'm saying is that as important as it is to understand that Jesus came as a baby, lived as a man, and died as the Christ, it is far more important to understand that Jesus lives as the Lord. Why is this so important? Because faith in a baby, or a man, or a tradition, won't save anyone. This is the reason I've spent the last four weeks unpacking the Christ of Scripture. I fear the Christ of our culture even the one who is honored or still celebrated on holidays by many is not the true Christ, but is merely a false, miniaturized, commercialized, or politicized one who cannot save a soul. What does Romans 10:9 say? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas how to be saved, what was Paul's reply? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Friends and neighbors and whoever is listening online, I tell you that the real meaning of Christmas can only be understood in light of who the baby Jesus really was, and even more importantly, in light of who he is. Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven 
and earth. He is God in the flesh. I'll go even further. I'm afraid that the Christ who is still celebrated in the Christmas of our culture is often nothing but an idol. And an idol can be worse than nothing. Sometimes we Christians unwittingly play along. How many people who do not know Jesus as Lord are still really into Christmas? How many people put Jesus and Santa Claus in the same general category? How many children are led to do so? Led to think a lot more about Santa, really, around Christmas time than Jesus. Or at least <laughs> on par. You're telling me that's not idolatry? One year I wrote a Christmas letter and sent it out to some extended family who aren't necessarily believers. And this is many years ago. And in that letter I shared what Christmas means to me. I will never forget what some of them said about it. Very innocently. innocently. Uh, but they said, it sure was a religious letter. When a letter about Christmas can be too religious. Something has happened to our understanding of the Christ of Christmas. How can a celebration of God coming to earth be too religious? Don't raise your hands, but I wonder <laughs> as if I could see it if you were raising your hands. Um, don't hit the like or the love button. Um, but I wonder how many of you used to watch um, good old Bill O'Reilly. Uh, if you remember him back when he was on mainstream TV, his talk show was rated number one for like a decade, so a lot of people watched him a lot. And every year, he would fight what he called the war on Christmas. And he would constantly say that nobody should be offended by Christmas because it's only a celebration of the historical Jesus, the, the, the philosopher, the, the, the teacher. He meant well. But listen, if that is all Christmas is, then we who are true believers should celebrate it no longer. Let's not kid ourselves. If Jesus wasn't the Lord, he was either crazy or a liar, and he was also the most blasphemous person to ever live. The very reason for the celebration, and the only thing that makes his birth different than any other historical figure, is that Jesus is Lord. Let's try to understand more about the Lordship of Christ by looking at this from four historical perspectives. First of all, note takers, this is number one. The Christ of Christmas was Lord before history. The Christ of Christmas was Lord before history. The very first words of the Bible are these. In the beginning, God. We know from Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He existed before everything else. This means that God is the original cause of everything else. He is the source of all life. He is the architect and builder of the universe. In the beginning, it was God and God alone. Only God. Hear that. It was only God in the beginning. Not even the angels existed in the very beginning, only God. Maybe someone says, what about Jesus? 
This is so important. When I say only God, that includes Jesus. Look with me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, where the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. Well, that's a little bit different than the first verse of Genesis. This time it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, immediately inquiring minds should be asking, who or what is this word character? This is quite a claim that is being made about this capital L, logos in the Greek, translated as capital W word in the English. Who in the world could this be? If in the beginning it was only God, what does that say about this one who John tells us was with God? Well, John doesn't leave us to guess. In the same sentence, he says, this word was not only with God, but also was God. And that he was there in the beginning, before time, before anything else existed, both as God and with God simultaneously. Who is this person who could somehow be with God and also be God at the same time? Let's read on. Verse 3. All things came into being through him. Through this word. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So this word person was not only with God, not only was he in very essence God, but now we see that every little piece of creation was made through him. It was through this person referred to as the word that the universe exploded out of nothingness. It was through him that everything was created. Let's read on. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now this is starting to sound vaguely familiar, I hope. Who referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life? Who referred to himself as the light of the world? Really the light before men. Let's read on from verse 9. John continues to tell us about this person called the Word. Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were, her, who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. By now it should be obvious that the word is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But in case there's still any confusion about that, let it be clarified by verse 14, which says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. What a great Christmas verse. This word, or Logos, who existed before creation, and this word who was with God and who was God became flesh, a human being. How incomprehensible. What an incredible story. There ought to be a holiday for such an event, wouldn't you think? But can you also see that it's a little hard to really communicate the identity of, the identity of Christ with a plastic baby in a manger? 
I'm not really trying to say manger scenes are bad, okay? It's fine. Uh, we have some in our house. I'm just saying most people are pretty clueless about the Christ of Christmas, and all of us probably need a reminder that Jesus Christ is actually the Creator, God, in the flesh. No, Jesus is not some, simply a remarkable man for us to study about in history books. Jesus caused history to begin. He created time. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we exist. It is because of him that I have a brain to ponder him with and a mouth with which to speak of him. It's through Christ that you have ears with which to hear him spoken about today. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I think it'd be a good time for me to pause and share for just a moment about what has come to be known as the Trinity. Because I want you to understand that we worship one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are actually manifestations of one. Christianity is not polytheistic. You see, that's exactly why it's so important to understand that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is not a deity. He is the deity. Otherwise, worshiping him is idolatry. Otherwise, those of us who have praised the name of Jesus in carols like, Oh, come all ye faithful, are guilty of blasphemy. Only God deserves our worship. If Jesus was not God, the wise men and shepherds were breaking the first commandment when they worshipped him in Bethlehem. That's why it's so important to understand that God is and always has been three in one. That's what Trinity means. The word is actually short for triunity. God is a unified one who is manifested in three persons. I'll spare you the typical inadequate human analogies because this is impossible for human beings to completely comprehend. We can get wonderfully lost pondering the mystery of the trifold nature of God, but why shouldn't God be hard for our minds to comprehend? Have you ever considered that? If God were easy to get your head around, you'd have to wonder what human being came up with him in their head. In fact, most cults are formed by people who are trying to make God easier to understand. And yet there are certain truths that we do need to embrace about God, whether or not we can fully understand those truths. The most important truth regarding the identity of God is that the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus is God. Three persons, one God. The Bible says, don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. For in Christ, the fullness of God lives in a human body. And you are complete through your union with Christ. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. <laughs> How's that for a clear statement? Jesus was Lord even before history. If you think about it, that means an awful lot. And if you think about how this pertains to that baby in Bethlehem, you might realize why I say that for most, Christmas time fosters a far too limited perspective on who Jesus is. Christmas must not be simply a celebration of the historical Jesus because we must remember that Jesus was Lord before history began. Secondly, the Christ of Christmas was Lord within history. Our faith is not placed 
in a legend or a myth or in some being who lives in another dimension. Jesus actually existed inside our history. He was born in Bethlehem. He walked the roads of Galilee and ate fish with his disciples. He healed people. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, the ability to walk to the paralyzed. He taught with words that we still have written down. He gave himself over to be crucified. He rose from the dead on the third day. He established his church through his disciples. He ascended into heaven to be with the Father until the time of his return. Those events are as much historical fact as anything you learned in history class. The evidence for these events is convincing. More than one great thinker who has set out to disprove the historical facts of the life of Christ has wound up a believer. There are thick books full of reasons to believe these facts are true. Jesus was Lord within the context of history. Neither he nor the events of his life can be considered the stuff of legend or myth. Even unbelieving literary and historical scholars admit that the Jesus stories are simply not in the same category as mythology. Jesus was Lord within history. But let's shift gears because the point of this message is not to lay out evidence for the historical Jesus. Instead, I want you to, I want you to think for a minute about the nature of of his birth and of his life as it pertains to his lordship because the lordship of Christ took on a different flavor during his time on earth. You see, Jesus was lord on earth, but he didn't always act like it. The Bible says your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus was Lord within history, but he didn't always act like it. At Christmas, we celebrate the humble birth of Christ, born to a peasant couple with a shed for shelter and a feeding trough for a bed. Remember, this is the one who existed as God before any of this was even created. This is the one who was with God in the beginning and who was God. Everything in the universe was created through him. Have you ever thought about Christmas from Jesus' perspective? In a moment, in a moment, Jesus Christ, our Lord, exchanged an infinite existence for an infantile existence. Jesus made his entrance into history, and his stage was a farmer's barnyard in the corner of a tiny, unheard-of village in one of the weakest, most inconsequential nations on earth at the time. His umbilical cord was severed. He was wrapped in strips of cloth normally used to wrap up lambs about to be sacrificed. And then he was laid in a place none of us would lay our own children even for a moment. Today, the Department of uh, Family Services might have considered taking Jesus away from his homeless parents. Jesus spent much of his childhood on the run while learning the laborious trade of carpentry. Even after he finally emerged as somebody worth following, important people wouldn't accept him. They kept trying to trap him and eventually hated him so much they looked for opportunities to kill him. In the end, they had their way and he died the worst kind of death known to man at the time, a death reserved for the most heinous criminals. How could the Lord of heaven and earth humble himself to this extreme? How could the one who was God himself submit to the human birth process to a stable, a manger, a cross? How could the Lord of the universe subject himself to such a difficult and painful life 
What can we learn about Jesus from his willingness to lay down his lordship in this way? Why did he do this? To use the slogan of our church, because of love. He did it for love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Even in his birth, Jesus was laying down his life. Coming from heaven to a fallen planet that is cursed and dying because of sin, the Lord of all wanted to show us how much he loved us. He didn't want to just tell us. He wanted to show us. Because he loved us, Jesus laid down his lordship to the point of death. He emptied himself. See, he didn't always act like the Lord while he was here, but don't miss this. In the end, Jesus showed himself to be Lord, even within history. How? By rising from the dead. When Jesus came back to life, he proved his lordship, and he did it inside our timeline, inside our history, on our planet, in our skin. You see, even in his most humble and emptied state, Jesus was Lord. After a lifetime of sort of suppressing his lordship, in the end, he could contain his identity no longer. He overwhelmed death, rising again in immortality, and he showed himself alive to real people for 40 days before ascending to glory to rejoin the Father and send the Spirit. The Christ of Christmas was Lord within history. Thirdly, the Christ of Christmas will be Lord at the conclusion of history. Let's read from Philippians again, and we'll go on a little bit further to get the rest of the story this time. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing, took the humble position of a slave, and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amazingly, Jesus will enter human history again only this time his lordship will be apparent from the moment of his arrival. This time he's not coming as a helpless, humble baby, and he is not coming to die. This time he is coming to reign as Lord and King and God. Friends, when he comes this time, <laughs> you are going to want to be on his side. <laughs> Listen to one of the Bible's descriptions of the return of Christ the Lord. From Revelation chapter 11, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The whole world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders sitting on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped him. They said, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. <laughs> The Trinitarian stuff in there is amazing. I can't spend a lot more time on that. But one minute we're talking about Christ reigning, and the next minute we're talking, praising, and thanking God that he's about to reign. Again, he is Lord. Christ is Lord. He is God. The writer of Hebrews also tells us 
chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I hope that's you. <laughs> it's certainly me. Waiting in hope for him. At the conclusion of this, our human history, Jesus will come again. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. When all other hope is lost to us, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord can rest on the promise of his return. Sometimes this is what keeps me going. If as a believer you don't honestly find great hope in Christ's return, like I mean looking forward to it, you have misunderstood something somewhere. Maybe you're trying to have too much heaven on earth. I can promise you that the persecuted first century church and the apostles found hope in the return of Christ. The church in China is looking forward to the return. If you, as a believer, do not find comfort and joy in anticipating his return to the point that you can hardly wait, maybe you've read the wrong books, listened to the wrong preachers, um, maybe you have the wrong eschatological position. Because listen, when Jesus is manifested as Lord at the conclusion of this history, those who have pledged allegiance to him <laughs> win. We win decisively and we win in a moment. In the blink of an eye, all that is wrong will be fixed. All that is evil will be removed. All that is sorrowful will be swallowed up in victory. These dying bodies will be remade into immortal perfection. And in fact, all things will be made new. Death and dying will be no more. Sin will lose its power over us. The Lord Jesus Christ will become our light. And the celebration of all that is right and good will continue forever. That brings us into the final facet of the Lordship of Christ that I want to mention. He was Lord before history. He was Lord within history. He will be Lord at the conclusion of history. And finally, the Christ of Christmas wants to be Lord of your life. Chuck Colson put it this way in one of his books, Jesus is Lord. This confession is one of the oldest Christian creeds. The scriptures make clear the totality of Christ's claims upon us. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow, Matthew 16, 24. If we really understand what, bring, what, what being Christian means, that this Christ, the living God, actually comes to rule one's life, then everything must change. Values, goals, desires, habits. If Christ's lordship does not disrupt our own lordship, then we must question the reality of our conversion. It is so important that we get this straight. Christians have often erred one of two ways on how this is practically played out. We've either erred on the side of legalism or we've erred on the side of dead, empty, inauthentic faith. On the one hand, we've created a list of do's and don'ts by which we think we are gaining favor, salvation from God, or we're just trying to look better than others. That's legalism. On the other hand, we've said something like, just pray a prayer and get your life insurance, or just be baptized, and then pretty much live however you want. But you won't find anything like that 
in the gospel according to Jesus. He taught that if anyone wanted to follow him, they would need to embrace his lordship, to surrender to him, to stop living for self and start living for him. Sometimes this concept of lordship is tough for us to accept today, especially people who are just, just hearing the gospel for the first time or just starting to really get it. It just doesn't seem right somehow that Jesus would have the nerve to ask us to live only for him. That's because our entire culture has fostered self-centered thinking and a lack of respect for authority. The idea of allegiance, even to a worthy king, much less to God. Something King David's mighty men understood so well. They lived to serve him, to honor him. They had allegiance to a worthy king. That type of thing is all but lost on us. We have learned to bow to no one. Many don't even want a leader, much less a lord. Ideas have consequences. Most people today have a very weak perspective on authority. It starts with our parenting. Many don't even exercise authority over their own children. Obedience has become optional for kids. And for all of us, really, we don't even realize what an important value we've laid aside. The value, this value is particularly important for those who would follow Jesus. You cannot be your own Lord and follow the Lord at the same time. God gave us freedom of choice so we could choose to accept his lordship. He didn't want robots, but he did want obedient children. Understand this, a Christian is someone who allows Christ to be Lord of his or her life. That means Jesus is the king and you are the servant. The Christ of Christmas wants to be Lord of your life all year long. And he is worthy of your commitment because he is Lord. Jesus came as a humble baby so they could experience every part of humanity. He came to be the Christ, the promised one, the one God sent to be your savior. This Jesus was Lord before history. He was Lord within history. He will be Lord at the conclusion of history and he wants to be Lord of your life starting today and continuing through all of eternity. You were created to serve him. Everything about your life will line up and make sense when Christ is not only the Lord, but your Lord. I know there are people listening who have not really bowed to the Lordship of Jesus. It requires great humility to do so. Most of us don't like the idea of getting down on our knees and pledging allegiance to anyone. An allegiance certainly should not be given lightly. But your allegiance is exactly what Jesus Christ asks for. That's what it means to make someone your Lord. Maybe it helps to know there is a promise that comes with this allegiance. I mentioned this verse earlier. The Bible says, For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is Jesus really Lord of your life? Or have you relegated him to holidays and a few Sundays? Is he someone to remember now and then? Or is he the first person you check with in your decision making? Are there areas in your life where you find yourself in rebellion? 
Are you rejecting his authority in one way or another? Where is your allegiance? Who is your Lord? I want to give you an opportunity right now in prayer to put Jesus back on the throne of your heart. And if this is the first time you've really surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, this may well be the day of salvation for you. But I suspect many simply need to lay some things down and re-surrender to the King with a fresh commitment. So even though we're online, if you would, um, just spend a moment in prayer, maybe bow your head. Just take a moment. Just, just, just take a moment with me. Understand that I may have been speaking these words, but the Holy Spirit is the one if there's anything going on in your heart, it's not because of me, it's because of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you? Are you ready to make Jesus your Lord? Are you ready to surrender wholeheartedly to him? To give your heart to Christ, as we say, to give him your life, to make him your Lord? If you truly believe that God came down to earth to die on a cross to pay the price for your sin. Will you not respond with the commitment to follow him? He is God. Would you want to do that today? If you do, just tell him. Maybe in your heart, say, Jesus, you are Lord. Be my Lord. Jesus, you are God, be my God. Take away my sin and help me follow you wholeheartedly. I know my whole life is gonna change and I can't do it on my own. Today, my heart is yours, I surrender. Amen. If you made that decision today, um, I hope you'll let us know. Um, you could email me. Uh, you could put a comment uh, if you're on Facebook or something like that. But if you, uh, if you want to just email me, it's simply gochurchpastormark, all one word, gochurchpastormark at gmail.com. I'd love to know about any decision that you might have made today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have an awesome week. Oh, I guess it's just about Happy New Year, so Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.